y'all all agree that with that video, right, we need to be less social with our phones or our devices and we need to look at each other more. Uh, I'm, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. <clears throat> One of my wife's complaints is that I spend too much time looking at Facebook. Um, sometimes I need to be reminded that, and you do too. So this, this Thanksgiving, let's spend some time cherishing those that God has given us, right? Because life is too short. Uh, a couple of quick announcements. Uh, we do have our last small group, except for the love and respect. They're going to meet one more time on the first Sunday in December. But our last small group until after Christmas. It gets crazy. Y'all know this time of year. So uh, that's tonight. Asian food. So fried rice. If you don't know what Asian food is, fried rice, egg rolls, something like that. Uh, we'll have a good time. Eat. I, I love that. Uh, Wednesday night, no evening activities on Wednesday night. Happy Thanksgiving. We don't ever do that on, on uh, the night before Thanksgiving. Two weeks from yesterday. Yesterday, we had a great time. Uh, lots of folks showed up. We, we got a ton of work done. We are ready to hang the Christmas lights. Um, we're ready to uh, find out where the rats ate through the, the lights on the Christmas tree. That's why it is not lit up this morning. Somehow they got in there. Uh, we'll figure that out. But two weeks from yesterday, we're going to hang the lights around the pond, and uh, it's going to be a good day. We'll have breakfast, and, and we'll, it'll only take us probably an hour, hour and a half that day since we got all that work done. December 3rd, baked potato lunch for our Haiti ministry. Um, it's a fundraiser, and so we'll have all the fixings out there and the $7 a person. The Christmas celebration is December 17th. Don't forget, you need a star. Be on the lookout for a star or create a star if you want to be involved in the petition to, uh, to make some money for Christmas. And then we have just announced, I just got it set, our next uh, license to carry handgun class is, uh, December, uh, is January 13th, 9 a.m. It's $60, and that includes lunch. Um, you will need uh, uh, some type of handgun that you're going to shoot, and you will need 50 rounds of ammo. And you'll come here. Um, it'll start at 9 a.m., and you'll go till 1 or one thirty, maybe even 2 o'clock. It just depends on how quickly everybody gets through all of the material and then how quickly you go down here to our range and you shoot. Um, lunch will be provided, so we'll bring it over. You'll eat while you still continue the class. Uh, Tim West has done all of our classes so far. He agreed to be here again. Tim's a, a good teacher. I've, I've sat and listened to a lot of his classes. I have my license already, but I sat in there listening and uh, he keeps it entertaining. So if you're interested in that, write it on the back of your card today, and then I will transfer that to a uh, sign-up sheet sometime in the next week or two. We'll have the sign-up sheet out in the living room. Um, we are we are in the process of of talking to police about coming out and doing a an active shooter uh, type class and and they want as many people as possible to come to that not just folks who have their licenses they want to talk to you about um, the way that that you should respond even if you don't have a license so there's lots of things that that they want to do and we're also going to be putting together a security team so um, if you're interested in that um, I heard I heard Jay's interested in that um, so. Uh, if you're interested, we're gonna we'll have a meeting sometime before Christmas, and we'll kind of get that kicked off. Have you ever noticed <clears throat> that there's some people in this world that no, that no matter if God does not come through with what they want Him to do, they still believe? Have y'all noticed that? Um, they're, they're, we call them heroes of the faith, and there's lots of them in the Old and New Testament, but, but I've known a lot of them. I think you probably have known uh, these folks. No matter what happens, they have this, this stubborn faith in God. And, and if you were to go to them, if you were to take your little notepad and you go to them and say, okay, I, teach me. You've obviously learned. Teach me what I'm supposed to do when life is hard. What do you do? I believe the first thing they would say to you, you've got your little notepad, they would say, believe. 
And I believe you would go, yeah, 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 I know that. What are the three steps to get out of the valley of the shadow of death? I need a quick fix here. And they'd say, no, no, no. You need to believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you mean? No, nothing else. Number one on your list and the only thing on your list in the meantime when you're going through struggles is believe. Now, normal people who hear that would probably scoff and they would say, you remember I had the thimbles last week, so we're going to bring these thimbles back out and this represents your life. So let's say a normal person whose life is this long compared to eternity says, you want me to believe in spite of all the evidence that God doesn't care? And the believers would say, how do you know God doesn't care? And, and the, the people that are focused on their own life, they say, because in this life of mine, there's nothing but heartache and sorrow. That's all there is. We talked about your life as a mist, James said last week. This mist is nothing but heartache and sorrow. And the believers would say, well, that's not true. Number one, I think the believers, the heroes would say, God is doing something in the middle of your pain and sorrow. You just don't see it or you're just not, you don't care to see it. And I think they would say, outside of your little world, God has been involved since the beginning of time. He's going to be involved. Remember the prophets gave you two things to do. Remember <laughs> what God did in the past and remember his promises for the future. So the believers, and isn't it ironic that we call them believers because not many of us really believe God can or will do something when we're in the midst of trouble. It's ironic that we're called believers because so many of us are not believers when bad stuff happens to us. The heroes would say, what's going on in this little life is not all there is. God is at work and you have to believe that. There's all kinds of things going on. So, so we said this a couple weeks ago, but I thought I would put it on your listening, guys, because somebody asked me about this. Faith, belief that these heroes are talking about means believing in advance what only makes sense in reverse. My favorite seminary professor said, faith is not blind faith as if you don't know what's going on. Faith sees the obstacles, but they see that God is bigger than the obstacles, right? So believing in advance what only makes sense in reverse, these heroes didn't come up with this idea. Jesus commanded his followers to believe. It wasn't a suggestion. Every writer in the New Testament commanded believers to believe, to have faith. Why? Because it is in our nature not to believe. Normal people do not believe. Mature followers of Christ believe. And that's the message that James is going to give us today. I told you last week I was going to tell you more about James. James is the half-brother of Jesus. Um, James' mother was Mary, um, the same woman who gave birth to Jesus. Some of you did not know that Jesus had siblings. The scripture says that, that Joseph kept Mary a virgin until after the birth of Jesus. So in, in just a logical thing, they, they were married and they consummated the marriage after the birth of Jesus. We have proof of that because we're told about his brothers. Look at Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, which was Nazareth at that point. Uh, his adopted hometown late, later is Capernaum, but he's talking about Nazareth. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he did what he always did. He was teaching in the synagogue. So the Sabbath was the day they worshiped. Jesus always went to the synagogue and taught. And many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that has been given to him? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? They're going, this dude is wise and he's performing these crazy miracles. You would think that would impress them. It does not. Look what they say. Isn't this the carpenter? That is not a compliment. 
This next is even a worse um, disrespect. It, it, it was worse to say, isn't this Mary's son, even if your father was dead? And a lot of scholars believe Joseph was dead at this point because he's not mentioned prominently in Jesus' life. Even if your father was dead in that culture, to, be call, to call you the son of your mother instead of the son of your father is a huge insult. They were insulting him. Isn't he the carpenter? He's a common man. Isn't he married? He's a mama's boy. They don't even give Joseph the, the time of day. Isn't this Mary's son and the brother, and isn't he the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simeon? Simon, I'm sorry. Simon, four brothers, half-brothers mentioned there. Aren't his sisters with us? We know they, that he had at least two half-sisters. And they took offense at him. Now, Jesus tells us, he says, a prophet is without honor in his own hometown. And it says he did very few miracles there because they did not believe. Remember, the heroes believed. They didn't believe. And look what Jesus says about their unbelief in in verse 6. He was, what is that word? Amazed at their unbelief. There are a couple of times in scripture that Jesus is amazed. Here he's amazed at their lack of belief. And several times he's amazed at someone's lack of belief. There's a time when the, the Roman centurion came and said, hey, my, my son or, or my servant is sick and I need you to heal him. And Jesus said, I'll come. And, and the centurion said, no, no, no. All you have to do is say the word. I'm a man under authority. I know how authority works. You have authority. You say the word, he'll be healed. Jesus was amazed at his faith. He wasn't, he wasn't a Jew. He was a Roman And Jesus was amazed. There's a few times he's amazed at unbelief. A lot of times he's amazed at unbelief. There's a few times he's amazed at belief. And and it's interesting to me that no one in Nazareth believed Jesus was the son of God, including, or maybe I should say, especially the members of his own family. Now, three chapters earlier in Mark, uh, we're told that Jesus heals on the Sabbath. They did what he always did. He went to the synagogue. He taught. There was a man with a withered hand. He heals him. The, the, the religious leaders got mad. It is illegal to do, to do medicine or to, to do some type of healing. It is illegal to do that on the Sabbath. Now, that was their rule, not God's rule. Jesus did it on purpose. They got into this discussion, and, and the Bible says he, he was angered at the hardness of their hearts. And then, then it says this in um, verse 20. He goes out to the Sea of Galilee. He starts teaching. Crowds are coming around. He, he calls his 12 disciples. And then he says this. And this is what happens next in, in Mark 3, verse 20. After all of that stuff, Jesus entered the house. And again, a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they were, went to take charge of him. For they said, he is loco. Not only did they not believe he was the son of God, they thought he was nuts. They thought he was certifiable. They wanted to get him out of the public to protect him until he came to his senses. One of the family members who thought Jesus was cray-cray was James. I'm going to call him Doubting Jimmy. You've heard of Doubting Thomas? We're going to talk about Doubting Jimmy today. He was not one of Jesus' followers. He, he thought he was nuts. He did not believe in Jesus until after the resurrection of Jesus. And so when Jesus came back from the dead, after predicting he would come back from the dead, James goes, ah, I think I'll believe. <laughs> I think I'll join this cause. He was so convinced at that point that Jesus was the son of God that he became one of the leaders of the Jerusalem church along with Peter That's huge. Now, this is remarkable. If you've been here a few years, you've heard me ask this before, but what would it take for your brother to convince you that he is the son of God? How many of you have brothers? What would your brother have to do to convince you he's the son of God? 
Um, I have two brothers. They're not God. They would stand before you today and say, oh, Doug's not God. Anybody who's been arrested as much as him cannot be God. Um, they, they love that. Um, this is remarkable because you know what I used to tell my brothers and especially my sister, my brothers are 14, 12 years older. My sister was tw- uh, seven years older. I used to say, you're not the boss of me. Y'all ever use that one? Can you imagine doubting Jimmy saying to Jesus, you're not the boss of me. Now, Jesus wouldn't have done this, but if I um, actually, I'm the boss of the universe. I am. Yes, I am. Um, and, and, you know, Perry mentioned this the other day at small group. What, what would it be like to have Jesus as your older brother? Mom says, why can't you be like Jesus? <laughs> and and if, I'm, if I'm doubting Jimmy, I'm like, mom, you said he was, he was a virgin birth. I'm not, so how could I be like Jesus? And that's just me. <laughs> if you're going to pull off this hoax that you're the son of God, who's the one person that would not let you get away with it? Your brother. He doesn't even want you to be faster than him, much less be the son of God, Right? Or your sister, my sister would, no, no, she would have told you. That's what's so awesome about this story. People who grew up with Jesus, James, Jude that's mentioned here, he writes one of the books of the, the New Testament. He was, they were doubters. But later they became believers because of the resurrection of Jesus. And then his followers hung out with him for three years, day and night. They said, we sat around a campfire. We saw the miracles. And then he starts talking about, I'm going to die on the cross to, to pay for the sins of the world. And then I'm going to come back to, the, to life after three days. And, and, and they would say, we didn't know what he was talking about until he did it. And they said, we will go to our grave. So they ran in fear when Jesus was, was crucified and laid in the tomb. But then when he showed back up, all of a sudden those scared men become bold and they say, we will go to our graves proclaiming that God became one of us. Now, after the resurrected Jesus went back to heaven, James decided to write a letter. And that's the letter we have in the New Testament. In that letter, he clearly says that Jesus was God, not from God. He was God. Yes, he came from God, but he was God as well. Now, if you have a Bible or if you have access to the internet, you have access to something written by a guy who grew up with Jesus. I don't know what you're reading right now. It's not as good as this. James says, if you're going through tough times, the one thing you need to do, one thing you need to do is believe. Let's pick it up in James chapter one. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, do not miss this. What did James just call Jesus? Lord. I mean, you'd expect a good Jew to say the servant of God, but he called his brother Lord. Something had changed from when he thought he was crazy. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Why were they scattered? Because of persecution. This is crazy to me. James and Peter stay in Jerusalem where, where there was this most intense persecution of Christians. If you read any story of his, Israel, you'll know that the Jews were punished severely by the Romans. And then the Christians were, were identified with the Jews. They, the Romans thought the Christians were a sect of the Jews. They weren't. They were, they were in competition with each other. So James is saying to all of you brothers and sisters, that means believers in Jesus Christ who have been chased from your homes because of persecution, because of pain and suffering. (laughs) Hey, I mean, that's what he says. Hey, all of you who are gone because you're going through, hey, what's up? (laughs) Verse two, you think that's crazy. Listen to what he's about to say. Consider it pure joy, not just 
not just endure, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters who are scattered because of pain and suffering, whenever you face trials of many kinds. See, James, James knows what life is like. He knows what persecution is like. And he knows that normally, whenever we go through pain and suffering, we get in this funk. And we say, oh, there's, there's nothing good that's going to happen to me. I'll never be happy again. Nothing good can come from this. I'm the only one who's ever suffered. There's no point in going on with my life because my little mist is so bad. And James says, think of this. He says, instead of looking at your little life and going, man, this is bad, consider it an opportunity for good. <laughs> to say this was countercultural at the time was and, and uh, countercultural today. The Greek word for facing trials means like a, a train wreck or a shipwreck or a robbery or something really bad has just happened to you and you face it. Nothing you can do about it. You face the heart. He's not talking about losing your car keys or stubbing your toe in the middle of the night. He's talking about when the doctor calls and says, you have six months to live. He's talking about when the police show up your door and say, there's been a terrible accident and your loved one's not coming home. Or when, when your, your boss calls you in and says, we can no longer afford to keep you around. You, you don't have a job anymore. He says, when bad stuff happens, look at it as an opportunity for good. Consider it joy. Well, you're going to think he's crazy. Well, let's, he's going to tell you why you're going to consider it joy. Verse three, because you know that the testing of your faith, here's a few things on your listening guide about trials, testing. How many of you like tests? No one? There's one hand back there. I'm not sure that the, yeah, I know. Carly's back there saying, yeah, hey, Doug, ask a question. Yes, me. Nobody likes testing? Well, let me tell you about trials. Trials put your faith on trial. So we find out what you believe when you go through trials. Trials put God on trial. We find out a lot about God when we go through trials. Something bad happens too often. We look up and we go, really? This is what you have for me after all I've done for you. I go to church. I pray. I believe. I give money to and this is what you got for me. No thanks. It reveals what we really believe about God. You've let me down, God. Every time we face a test, it's a test of your faith. And, and a, a faith that has not been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. Will you continue to believe? Really test your confidence in God. Your confidence. How confident are you in God? We'll find out the next time you go through a test. He says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So trials produce persevering faith. That's the next one. Trials produce persevering faith. And so you're going, uh, is there another way? Because perseverance sucks. I don't want to do it that way. Isn't there a shortcut, God? And here's the thing. What you find over and over in the Bible is that God values persevering faith more than just about, I would argue, just about anything else. You see, here's the deal. No one is impressed by faith that always gets a yes from God. 
What gets God's attention and everyone else's attention is when you repeatedly get a no or you get no answer at all, which is the same to us as a no. It's the same to your children as a no as well. When you, when you get a no or no answer from God and you remain faithful, people pay attention. God pays attention and he gets glory for that. You see, if someone gets a yes, always gets a yes from God, they become rich because everybody wants to know their secret. They don't want to know about God. They want to know about the three steps to a, a prosperous life that the prosperity preacher is preaching. That's why most prosperity preachers are rich is because they always get a yes from God and people will pay to figure out how do you always get a yes? Well, we know it's, we know what James says. God says, are you kidding me? That does not honor me. Search the Bible. You'll, you'll find the one thing God loves the most is persevering faith. James says, before you, before you bail on God, consider the possibility that God is doing something. What's he doing? He's developing persevering faith in you. Well, I don't like it. I don't like it either. But God searches for it, listen to me, like it's the greatest treasure in history. Now James gets to his main point. Let perseverance finish its work. Look at that first word, let. There you go. You have a choice. You can let it finish or you cannot let it finish. The command is let it finish. You have a choice in this. For the, for the past several weeks, we've said you have options when you're in a bad situation. But the, I, would, I would suggest almost all of them are bad options. You can divorce you can try drugs, alcohol, you can cheat someone, you can, you can do all kinds of things that lead to worse outcomes. But James says there's one and maybe only one really good option, and that's to wait until God has a chance to do something. God is up to something that honors him and inspires people. And think about this. When Jesus was laid in the tomb, it was the worst thing in history if he really was the son of God. 11 of the disciples waited until Sunday morning. One of them did not, Judas. He took his own life because he was in despair. And, and we don't know, but I think had he seen the resurrected savior, I think had he confessed his sin, the Bible says he would have been forgiven. But I believe he split the gates of hell wide open because he refused to wait. And he said, there is no hope. This is all there is, so I'm gonna take my own life. We know him as a failure. Peter failed just as bad, but Jesus restored him. In fact, Peter went and cussed about it. I don't know him cuss. Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? You know, I did. three times he restored him because he waited until God did something. For many of you, whatever it is that has you stuck, is the place where God can change history if you wait on him to act. If you choose to let God finish his work, let perseverance finish its work. For many of you and many of the people that used to occupy the seats that are empty around you, something bad happened and you or they walked away or maybe ran away from God. And if we're real honest today, walking or running away from God did not make your life better. I've never heard somebody say, you know, once I turned my back on God, 
My finances got better. My relationships are taken off. I got healthier. I just had to get away from God. What I have heard is something happened. We walked away and our lives got worse. You see, walking away from God, turning your back on God is a starting point of going deeper into the pit of despair, not out. You go down, not up. When you walk away from God, James is saying, don't make that mistake again. (laughs) Here's the deal. Persevering faith will make you a better person and leave you in a better place. When? I don't know. But God does. You have to wait. Back to the verse. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature. How do I grow up in Christ? I let perseverance perseverance finish its work. Is there a... Nope. And there's a kind of a play on words here. The, the, the Greek word for mature or for finish is the same word as for mature. So you could say, let perseverance mature its work in these, so that you may be mature. Or the idea of complete. Let perseverance complete its work so that you may be complete. And then just for emphasis, he adds the word complete. Look at the next part. Let perseverance finish its work so that you mature and complete. You could read that verse, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be finished and finished. Or you could say, let perseverance complete its work that you may be complete and complete. Or let perseverance mature its work so that you may be mature and mature. Do you get the idea he's saying you need to be completed by letting perseverance finish its work? Because look what he says, not lacking anything. The point is, if you don't let it finish, you will lack something. You will be incomplete. And and before you think that I'm talking about religious behavior, let me just say this. Spiritual maturity is always measured in terms of persevering faith, not perfect behavior. Have you ever met one of those Christians that's perfect? I mean, make you sick, perfect. Because they've never done anything. Right, you, you share something that's happened in your past. Oh, you know, back in the day I went to the bar. Oh, I never, you never, no, I never. <laughs> Somebody shares, I, I struggled with pornography. Oh, I never. <laughs> Someone had sex before marriage. I never, right? And, and they're, they're so perfect, you want to put them in a zoo because they never. Come here, let me show you somebody who never. Right? Let me just say that, that, that a Christian who has never is non-existent except for Jesus Christ, right? These, these nevers, they've also never been compassionate. They've never been kind. They've never filled, been filled with grace so that they pour out grace on sinners, right? Not only are they non-existent, perfect Christians are not inspiring, Think about this. Um, Do you want to be like someone who never? I grew up in a church like that. And what what really kind of shook my faith a little bit was that these people who said they never, they did. And that became a church scandal. And so I just decided, you know, when I got older, I'm just going to tell people, yeah, I did. 
I mean, I got in trouble all the time in school because I'd do something. And one time that I shot this, I shot a little um, paper clip and it hit the blinds and we had metal blinds and she had her back up to the thing. And it was me and Scott Hunt and, and we were shooting at each other and I hit the blinds and then he hit the door and she said, Washburn and Hunt get in the hall. We're like, dude, how'd she know? Walked out in the hall. She said, did you? I said, yes, ma'am, I did. She said to Scott, did you? No, ma'am, I would never do that. I'm going, sucker. I got, I got whooped. And he did. Anyway, I just decided I was going to admit that. I, uh, yeah, I did. <laughs> you see, when, when someone learns to let perseverance finish its work, you hear their story and you want to be like them. You don't want to be like somebody who never, you want to be like somebody who, who, who has stubborn faith. You hear about them marching or falling or being shoved down into the valley of the shadow of death and God makes them camp out there for a while. But eventually God brings them up and you hear their story and you go, I'm inspired not by their Bible knowledge. I'm inspired not by their prosperity. I'm inspired by their stubborn faith in God. And they may have been just hanging on by a fingernail when God showed up. But by hanging on, they have been made complete. They have been made mature. And God says, I want more people like that. The world is a better place because of them. Come back next week and we're going to talk about the world was not worthy of them. You see, we sing songs and, and so many of you love the song, even if I know you're able and I know you can save through the fire by your mighty hand. But even if you don't, my hope is in you. I know the sorrow, I know the hurt will, would all go away if you just said the word, but even if you don't, we sing that. I don't know that we really mean that. And in 2 Chronicles, I didn't put this up, I just, just looked this up this morning. 2 Chronicles 16.9 says, the eyes of the Lord search to and fro throughout the land to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Those who have persevering faith, God is looking. There's not enough of us, I'm including myself, that God is just pleased to call them his children because of their stubborn faith. Now, James knows what real life is like, and that's why he gave this next verse. And I told you a couple of weeks ago when, uh, when we were looking at Paul's life that probably the most misused verse in, in, in history, misapplied verse in history was, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can win a football game through Christ. That's not what he's talking about. <laughs> if you know Paul's life, that's not, Paul's, I'm not trying, talking about winning a game. I'm talking about surviving something. This might be the second most misused verse in history. You have to tie it to what we just talked about. Consider it pure joy when you go through trials of many kinds. Let perseverance finish its work so that you might be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Then he says this next part. If any of you lacks wisdom, all right, we pray, oh God, I need wisdom. And I'm not saying you don't pray about your decisions. That's not what I'm saying. But in the context of this passage. He's talking about trials and suffering. If any of you lacks wisdom about your trials and suffering, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. Now, let me just define wisdom real quickly. Wisdom is the ability to see current circumstances within a broader context. Wisdom is God, I'm going through pain and suffering and all I can see is my pain and suffering. Would you give me your vision of my pain and suffering? so that I can see that my little misty life is not all there is. If this thimble 
resembles your life, what happens when you put it, put it under a microscope or when you, I have a magnifying glass that's lighted because I'm old and I can't read small things anymore. You should have seen me yesterday. I was trying to change Janie's um, headlights. Both her, her low beam headlights went out and I have, I cannot read the numbers on it to get the right one. I went to Walmart three different times and I'm reading and I've got headlamp on and I've got this on and I'm trying to read it. Now what, actually there's, there's something in there. I didn't know that. We'll have to look at that later. What happens if you put your little life under a microscope or under a magnifying glass? What gets magnified? Your stuff. Junk. Yeah. Your pain and your suffering gets magnified. It's like when a junior high student comes in and their world is falling apart and you're trying to act concerned. And it's not that you don't love them. It's just that you have, in my case, 53-year-old perspective. Dude, if I only had junior high problems, right? It's not that you don't love them, it's just you have a different perspective. You see, when, when you realize that your life is under a microscope or a magnifying glass, you pray, God, I don't want to magnify my life. I want to magnify yours. Do you know that's what worship is? That's why we're commanded to worship, so that we magnify God and if you say, God, I, I don't want to run, I don't want to be overwhelmed, I don't want to magnify what seems like to be a mountain to me, would you give me your wisdom about my mountain? Do you think God would answer that prayer? Yes, he would love to. So you pray this prayer, it's real simple. God, give me the wisdom, uh, I'm sorry, give me the wisdom to see as you see. I looked up and saw that one, the next one. Give me the wisdom to see as you see. Now why? Here's why, let me tell you why. Because when you pray this prayer, you're saying to God, if I could see this the way you see it, I think I could respond in a way that honors you. Again, would God answer that prayer? Yes. Verse six. But. There's always a big but. I did not put two T's on there. But, oh man, doubting Jimmy's about to nail us. But when you ask, you must believe. Believe it or not, you must believe and not doubt. You must believe that God has a bigger plan than what you can see. God is up to something. When you, when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. I can't help but think, is this a shot at Peter? James and Peter running the Jerusalem church, right? Hey, Pete, the reason Jesus called you a rock is because you sank like one. <laughs> Shut up, James. You weren't even there. You thought your brother was crazy. I mean, if Jeff Gillis got out of a boat and sank like a rock, I would never let him forget that, right? He never lets me forget stuff. That's the way, I, just, I just think that, that that's the way a bunch of men act. Women don't do that. Men do that. We have to, Janie used to say it's a, it's a wonder. One of my best friends is a pastor, and when we get together, she said, I can't believe you guys are even friends the way you talk to each other. I just want to make sure that, that my brother stays humble before the Lord. <laughs> James says the one who doubts is like, one who takes his eyes off of God, whether that's Peter <laughs> and sinking 
or it's whether it's you and turning your back on God. He says, when you do that, you will not be made mature. You will not be made complete. You will run away from God. And look what he says. That person, the one who takes their eyes off of God, the one who runs away from God, should not expect to receive anything. Say anything. Anything. The wisdom you just asked for, not happen because you've not let perseverance finish its work. Let that person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. So James is saying the next time something bad happens, something bad about to happen, <laughs> that Miranda Lambert and Carrie Underwood, I know way too many country songs because of my daughter, Rachel. <laughs> James is saying the next time something bad happens, don't assume the worst. Instead, focus on God. Magnify God. And when you don't feel like going to worship, I'm going to tell you that's probably the thing you need to do the most is because Satan is turning your gaze away from God. He's magnifying your problems and you need to magnify the Lord. Let me tell you how to do that. And I want you to practice this this week. In the meantime, first, believe God is at work. Believe it or not, he's working. Jesus said he's working. He's working. He's promised to be working. Doesn't matter whether you see it or not. And you might remember it this way, a little, little rhyme. I have to endure to mature. I just wanted one of those. All right, I need to separate those out. And then here's the last thing. Believe that God will use what he may not remove. Remember Paul prayed three times. Take this away and God says, my grace is enough. So Paul says, I'm going to boast about it. God's going to use it until he chooses to remove it. So here's the prayer I want you to pray. I want you to practice praying this and, and I'm even suggest that you pray this out loud. There is something about praying out loud and you may need to do this in your house. You may need to do this in your car. You may need to walk around your house on your property and pray this. Heavenly Father, I believe you will use this until you choose to remove this. Grant me the wisdom to see as you see so I can do as you say. I don't hear that prayer uttered very often, right? Imagine what your life would be like and imagine what this church would be like if that's the prayer we prayed every day. You think, you think God would make this place a, a, a place that he's pleased to dwell? Yes, because he's looking throughout the earth for people whose hearts are fully devoted to him. And he says, I will strengthen them in the midst of the most incredible misery and I will develop stubborn faith in them if they let perseverance finish its work. Let's pray together. Father, we, uh, we laugh about the junior high reference, but it doesn't matter how old we are. We, we magnify our problems and we think our problems are the only thing in the world and, and we whine and we complain instead of looking to you. So God, today, just help us to magnify your name so that you can, so that you can be glorified. You're not going to share your glory with us. You're not going to share um, your throne with us. You want our lives to point other people to your throne. And honestly, God, the best way I've ever seen people come to Christ is when they recognize, when they witness someone have stubborn faith, like a Job, like a Paul, like James, like John, like Matthew, like Levi.
God raise up some modern day examples. We pray in the name of Jesus, amen.